Morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Part three of Make War. How have you enjoyed part one and two? Good. That's great. Every time we go through a series, or every time we, we really delve into a specific topic or a specific book of the Bible, we should find that it changes us. Part of our spiritual diet is every time we come to church, and as a church, we subject ourselves to truth, to the Word of God, to a particular leading, a particular focus, some direction. We should find that it doesn't just give us more knowledge, but it changes who we are as a church every time we come together, and it changes who we are when we scatter across into our various areas of influence uh, during the week. And so as we go through this course, uh, this series, Make War, we should be thinking about how is this changing me? How is it affecting me? Am I thinking differently? Am I reacting differently? Am I approaching life differently? If not, then we're enjoying a good series, but there is more than that. There is more to it than that. So even this morning as we go through uh, part three, uh, I want you to say, Lord, let this take root in me. You know, every time we eat something, it changes our our, our physique, it changes our body. If we're eating good things, it makes us stronger, fitter, gives us more energy. Uh, if we eat bad things, the converse happens. So here we're feasting upon the Word of God. Let us make sure that it changes us, that we're not just tasting it or sniffing it or smelling it, but that we're eating upon it, feasting upon it, and that it changes the very fiber of who we are. Amen. There is a war that has been raging since shortly after the beginning of time. It is a war that has continued over the centuries. It has been fought on different battlefields, with different methods, with different means, and that is the war on truth. The war on truth. A man named John Fox wrote a book many, many years ago, and it's called Fox's Book of Christian Martyrs. I have in my hand just a short uh, and abridged copy, but this was an extensive book, and what Fox attempted to do was chronicle from the time of the early church every believer, every Christian who had been martyred, in other words, persecuted to death for his faith. And so I would say that this is recommended reading for every Christian. It's not pleasant reading. It's unpleasant because it's just page after page of torture and death. It's horrific. But I remember getting an abridged version. Uh, you, know, you know me, I like to just browse Christian bookstores, and every now and then I buy something that I actually read. And I remember paging through this abridged version of mine, and I, I, I sat at a coffee shop, and I was reading one page after the next, and I just thought, oh, this is terrible. Terrible reading. Because it was people who had faith that was so strong, it was faith that was tied to a truth, it was like a chain that tied them to a truth, that no matter what, they could not break free of it, even for the sake of their very lives. Thousands and thousands, even hundreds of thousands, have been killed brutally, heinously, for something that they believed in, for their faith. And I would say that for us as Christians, especially in this day and age, we need to be aware of this. We need to know that this is still happening in other parts of the world. In Egypt, if you've been reading what's going on there, in Nigeria, it seems every month Christians are killed just because they're Christians. I remember a friend of, uh, some friends of ours when we were living in South Africa, I was giving him a lift, a Nigerian family, a Nigerian pastor, and he was telling me about a time that a, a, a wave of persecution came across them and a whole church of 500 people was killed just a few years ago for their faith 
for something that they would speak about, something that they were tied to or chained to, to such a degree that no matter what, they could not change their mind about it. Truth. It was something external to them. Not internalized, not created by themselves, not an opinion, but a truth that they were tethered to, that they could not break free of. And it meant their death so many times. So many times. And that's the thing is that there is an external and absolute truth. Jesus, while he was working, walking along on the earth, he would say, and he said this, I did a rough count, at least 79 times, probably more, he would start off a story or start off an illustration or start off a statement with these words I tell you the truth. He was being very deliberate about emphasizing truth rather than opinion, rather than a belief, but something solid, something concrete. Truth, he said. There is a wonderful proverb, Proverbs 23, verse 23. It says, buy the truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom, discipline, and understanding. Starts off with buying the truth. That means if you're going to buy the truth, it's going to cost you something. If you're going to say, I want truth, it's going to cost. What is it going to cost? For these guys, it costs them their very life. For us, in this day and age, it's going to cost us our reputation. It's going to cost us our friends many times. It's going to cost us our success in the business world. It's going to cost us comfort. The truth will cost. And there will be the temptation to sell it. You might think that the investment that I'm making into truth is not working out the way I wanted it to. I'm not getting the returns I wanted from truth, therefore I will sell it. If we sell truth, what do we gain? What do we get when we sell truth? A lie. If we sell truth, at worst we get a lie in response or in return. At best, we get an opinion. Opinions are all well and good but give me the truth any day. So there is the temptation to buy and to sell truth. This morning, let us buy truth. Let us sacrifice. Let us give of ourselves, give of our future, give of, of what we have for truth. Jesus says, what did he say? What is his claim about himself? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the truth. He went over and above just saying, I tell you the truth. He said, I am the truth. When you see me, you see truth. Truth personified. When Jesus entered into the world, truth entered into, into the world in a way that was visible, tangible. Truth came from externally in the heavenlies and truth stepped onto the earth. In the same way that when Jesus entered the earth, love stepped onto the earth, love personified, in the same way truth stepped onto the earth. Listen to what it says here. John 1 verse 17, it says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is truth, truth personified. But there is a, a war, friends, against truth. If you know the Bible, you'll know that one of the names for the devil 
is the father of lies. Who does the devil hate the most? Jesus. The devil, from the beginning of time, has been waging war against truth by telling lies, by sowing seeds of doubt. The father of lies is still at work, friends, and the war against truth rages on. And we need to be active participants in that, making war against lies with truth, advancing with the truth, defending the truth, holding high the banner of truth, which is Jesus Christ. That is our call, that is our mandate as a church, is to uphold the truth with strength and with honor, with integrity, selling what we have so that we can hold on to truth, so that we can buy truth. Listen to this, 2 Timothy 4, it says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a number of teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. That is the day that was spoken about then, and it is the day that we live in now. It's the day when truth has been exchanged for something else. Truth has been sold for myths which are pleasing to the ear, convenient to the lifestyle and the circumstance. Now, it used to be that the war against truth was very much a literal war. And it happened and has happened periodically over the centuries. The holy war, the religious wars, were two groups of people who laid claim to the truth and they would literally fight one another. In the Crusades, in the, the wars between Christians and Muslims, they would literally fight against each other because of what they believed to be the truth. If you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, the wars that happened then were between Catholics and Protestants because there were various doctrines. And the doctrine is what they would fight about. They would say, we have the truth, and they would say, we have the truth. And so there would be an arguing over which truth was the real truth. They were contending for the truth that they believed in. So they fought for a specific truth. In this day and age, I believe the battle has changed. It is no longer a battle of which truth is the real truth. It's a battle against the very concept of truth itself. Let me say that again. The battle today is against the very idea that truth exists. Maybe I can explain this with a, a phrase that I heard on TV the other day. Perception is reality. Have you heard that? Have you heard that idea? Perception is reality. In other words, maybe I can put it a different way. You know the old saying, beauty is in the eye of the beholder? You could adjust that saying and say that truth is in the eye of the beholder. In other words, your truth is good for you, my truth is good for me. Truth becomes personalized, individualized, and customized for me. I will have my own truth, and for me this is truth. Let's get back to that perception is reality. So for instance, if I innocently, without intention, offend somebody, and they might feel offended, that is their reality. So their reality, based on the perception that they have become offended, that I've tried to offend them, their reality is that I have offended them. That's the reality, based on a perception. Is that truth? Who's right and who's wrong? I'm right. They're wrong. I, was, I didn't mean to offend. And so if I explain to them, listen, I really didn't mean to offend you. This is what happened. They should move on. 
get over it? Or are they going to hold on to this man-made, self-inflicted truth that says, no, you offended me. That perception becomes stronger than the truth. It holds more reality because it's based in feeling and in opinion than in fact. And that's the world that we live in now. Is that what I perceive to be true is true. What's good for you is good for you and what's good for me is good for me. Don't you try and make me believe what you want to believe. There is no truth and there is no lie. Everything is up to you. Freedom of choice. That, my friends, is the war, the, the war that we are in the battle with now, and that is much more severe than we think it is. The impact of this idea is so much stronger than we know. So what if truth is relevant, relative? So what if truth is relative? So what if they want to believe that and we believe that? The, the concept would lead you to think that that's actually quite a good idea. It should lead to social harmony. It should lead to people just being able to get along. Why can't we all just get along? You do what you want to do and I'll do what I want to do. Friends, in fact, the very opposite happens. And the reason is because the moment we individualize things for ourselves, we elevate ourselves as gods in our own eyes and we expect the rest of creation to serve my needs. And my needs, friends, in every carnal way, are incredibly destructive. My appetites are incredibly destructive. Just like yours, just like every single individual on this earth. Our natural appetites are destructive and will lead to, the, uh, to my own destruction as well as to everything around me that I touch, if left untamed, if left unkept, uncontrolled. Think about those people over time, those people over time who have risen to positions of power and have taken hold of their own opinion and acted upon them. It's one thing to say, I don't like people of a certain gender. Maybe that's your opinion. Keep it to yourself. I don't like people of a certain color. That's your opinion. Keep it to yourself. As long as you don't act on it, that's fine. But what about those people like Hitler, who perhaps was entitled to his opinion, but when he acted upon his opinion, when he acted upon his belief, destroyed Hundreds of thousands of lives wreaked havoc based on an opinion, his right to feel a certain way. The thing is this, belief changes who we are. What we believe changes what we do, and it's just a matter of time. Ideas have consequences. Opinions have consequences. They will eventually be acted, acted out in one way or the other. So this idea to say that perception is reality, it allows, I wrote here, the mollycoddling of people's egos rather than the surgically precise cut of truth into a circumstance, into a situation. Truth is what we need to cut through feelings, to cut through opinion. But in the day and age that we live in, opinion is elevated above truth. Where truth is not master, in other words, where truth does not dictate, bearing in mind that the truth is Jesus Christ and the truth goes hand in hand with love. Where truth is not master, feelings become master. Have you seen somebody who is mastered by their feelings? It is usually not a good sight. It's bad, it's destructive. Where truth is not master, opinion becomes master. Master. 
And there are many opinions in the world, a lot of them rubbish, unfounded, based on a whim, based on a notion that can change in an instant. Opinions are no good. Where truth is master, where truth is not master, cleverness and intelligence becomes master. Do you know that just because somebody is clever doesn't mean they're right? Something can sound incredibly smart and still be way wrong. And where truth is not master, where there is not an absolute of truth that is held and clung to, and that's where we find our plumb line, that's where we find our rule, our direction, the, the voice of cleverness rises up, and cleverness is often, often wrong. Have you heard the term evil genius? You find evil geniuses across the world, people who are incredibly clever, very articulate, very evil. Truth has to be master overall. You've heard that saying, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And this idea of, of truth being relative creeps its way into the church also. It is the worldview that we have grown up in. It is the, it, it's the perception that we has been forced on us without us even knowing it or realizing it from young. And so for us as a church this morning, for many of us, we think we gather as a church and we love it. It's wonderful. We 100% believe that God is God, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is Lord of all. We believe that. But in our heart of hearts, friends, many of us believe that every Muslim gathering this morning is also right. And every Buddhist gathering, wherever they gather and whatever they do, they're also right. And every Hare Krishna gathering, whatever they're doing, are also right. Because that is their truth. Who are we to tell them that they are wrong? And maybe some of us are feeling prejudiced towards Muslims, towards Islam, because of the conflict that Islam has with America. And so we say, no, those guys are wrong because they're acting out on their belief in a way that is destructive to us. But what about the Buddhists? Those guys are great. They don't harm anybody. Can I tell you categorically this morning, friends, that Islam, Buddhism, Krishna, atheism is anti-Christ because it rages against the truth. There is one truth. There is one God. There is one name which is above every other name. There is one name in which every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, and that is the name Jesus Christ. He is the truth. It's uncomfortable to feel this. It's uncomfortable to think this, because we know Buddhists, we know Muslims, we know atheists who are wonderful people, who perhaps seem to be more righteous than even we are who are more moral than many people who claim Christianity are. This is what we need to know, is that our enemy is not a Muslim person or a Buddhist person. But without doubt, our enemy is the spirit behind Islam, that stronghold behind Buddhism, which is anti-Christ. And our war that we wage 
that we raise our fist by the power of God against is not people, but is against those principalities and powers. We cannot be complacent or tolerant of demonic forces which are uh, uh, moving forth within the world that are against us. Let me show you, let me read to you from the Scriptures what happens when truth is let go, where truth is not held on to. This comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 9. It says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Does that not sound like the day in an average household? This is the world we live in, a world which has let go of truth, which no longer even battles for the truth that we believe in, but lets everyone have their own truth. He goes on to say about these men, these people, he says, they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control of a weak-willed woman. Think about that for a moment. Is not sex, pornography, every kind of debauchery one of the biggest issues in the world that we have today? Teenage pregnancy because women are weak-willed because they do not stand upon the rock, the foundation, which is the truth, Jesus Christ himself. So women are giving themselves to these men who are not tied to the truth, who, have, who will do anything they can to please themselves. Where truth is let go of, this is the kind of thing that happens and this is the society that we live in. These men are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kind of evil desires, always learning, incredibly intelligent, very clever, always gaining knowledge, but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Jonas and Jabrez opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth. They war against the truth. Men of depraved minds who as far as the faith is concerned are rejected. But they will not get very far because as in the case of those men, their folly will become clear to everyone. The truth always comes out. The truth always prevails. And that is because Jesus Christ is victorious. But friends, we need to be people who are sure-footed, standing firm on the foundation of faith, absolutely certain of the truth that we believe in. Not saying this is my belief, because belief and truth are two separate things. It's one thing to say, well, this is what I believe. That's as good as an opinion. But if you can say with certainty, this is the truth. And if you can say that without judgment, but with love, with grace, and with compassion, if you look at Jesus, truth personified, when he stepped onto the earth, the only people who battled against him were those religious bigots. Sinners loved him because he came with truth, which sets free and love. 
Friends, Christianity, things are turning at the moment. Uh, the day of tolerance is coming to an end. The day of tolerance, live and let live. You believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe. That day is coming to an end, I believe, for the church. The day is turning and coming once again when the church will be persecuted in the West where we live. The church will be persecuted for their beliefs. They will be forced to recant on doctrine and on truth. And it's going to happen to you and I and our families and in our circumstances. And it's going to happen to church leaders, to business leaders, to CEOs, to men and women of prominence. Because they stand upon the truth. They are tied to it. They are chained to it. They are slave to truth. And they will not become slave to anything else. They cannot serve any other master. And the day is coming when people are going to question the church and say, Can you honestly say that abortion is wrong? Can you honestly say that homosexuality is not part of God's plan and God's design? Can you really say that sleeping around before marriage is wrong? That living together before marriage is not part of God's plan and design? And we the church will have to say, yes, absolutely, that is the truth. Can you honestly say that Islam is a religion destined to destruction? That Buddhism, that atheism, that those people are wrong? W-R-O-N-G, wrong. The day is coming when we will be confronted with these things. Is the truth embedded in us to such a degree that we will say with certainty, yes, I believe. Take what you will, but I have sold everything for this truth. I have sold everything for Jesus Christ. Is it a belief an opinion which can be exchanged. I think so often of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I think if they were living today, how would they have responded? What happened was there were three young men, believers in the God Almighty, believers in the one true God, who were in a thoroughly pagan society in Babylon. And the king at that time, Nebuchadnezzar, said uh, he, he built a statue and he told the whole nation to bow down and worship the statue. Now those three men could have very easily said, all right, I'm bowing down because this is the world that we live in. There's nothing we can do about it. This is how society goes. I'm bowing down. But Lord Jesus, inside my heart, I'm standing. I'm standing proud. Lord, let this be to your glory. Praying in tongues while they're bowing. Knowing that if they stood, they would face the fire of the furnace. And they stood. I say, Lord, let the truth be our master that we will not bow to anything else. That we will not bow to any pressure. That we as the church will stand strong when that day of decision comes. That we as the church will stand strong. That we won't flow with every doctrine, with every wave, with every worldview that sweeps across our nation and across our land but that we will be emphatic, radical, filled with love, filled with grace, but tired on the truth, not swayable, that we would be those people. Everybody believes something. Everyone believes something. We believe the gospel. We believe the truth. We hold on to that. What we believe changes who we are. And it changes what we do. It changes how we live. It changes the way we speak. 
If we truly believe that Jesus is the answer to every marital problem, to every financial problem, every economic problem, if we truly believe that the Word of God holds the solution to these things, if we believe that the Word of God holds the solution to how to go through suffering, how to raise our children, how to deal with rebellious teenagers, if we truly believe that all of that is in here, we would be speaking a whole lot more to the world around us. If we truly believe that people are destined for hell unless they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, we would be speaking a whole lot more to people around us. We would be praying in public a whole lot more. We would be reading our Bible a whole lot more. We would be equipping ourselves a whole lot more so that we can change lives around us. These are known as the doctrines, the, t- the ten doctrines. The doctrines are the explanations or the understandings of the truth of who our God is. And we have to know this, friends. It's good for us to come to church. It's vital. We have to be coming to church every Sunday to listen to the teaching, to those men and women that God has gifted with the ability to make plain the mysteries of the gospel. But we have to be studying for ourselves. All of these things determine how we live in this world. This doctrine, the existence, nature, and attributes of God. Do we believe that God is far, far off or close by? That He is with me, that He knows everything, that He sees into my heart? Do I believe that He is part of nature and that I see God in the trees and in the, and in the beauty of nature? Do I believe that He is a force at a subatomic level that just works His way through the world? Or do I believe that He is a person seated on a throne in heaven? This affects how we live. What about revelation, the inspiration and authority of Scripture? What do I believe about the Word of God? What do I believe about the Bible? Do I believe that it was inspired in the way that a poet might be inspired to write some poetry? Or do I believe that it is the very Word of God breathed out, penned by the hand of men and women that God spoke directly to? Do I believe that all of it is useful for me? Or do I believe that sometimes my circumstances let me off the hook? What do you believe about the Word of God? What about creation and providence? What do I believe about creation? Because it changes the way I live in creation. Changes how I treat the world around me. What do I believe about humanity and human nature? When does life begin? Does it begin in the womb? Because that changes the way I live. Changes the way I respond to people around me. In many cases, it changes the way we vote. What about original and actual sin? Do I believe that people are inherently good or inherently bad? Nelson Mandela, if you've been keeping up with news in South Africa, is very close to death. And I saw uh, just yesterday or the day before a trailer of his life, a a movie of his life is coming out. And, And there's a very inspirational quote that he gives. And he says, he says in this quote that, Children are not birthed hating another man's color of skin. They are not born with a discrimination against other skin colors. He says that is taught. He says we need to teach our children to love because it is more natural for our children to love than it is for them to hate. I love Nelson Mandela. I respect that man immensely. But in this regard, friends, he is wrong. Our natural proclivity is toward hatred. 
because we love ourselves above everything else. Only with the power of Jesus Christ can we love others more than we want to serve ourselves. What do we believe about mankind? What do we believe about our children? Are they automatically going to make the right choices or do we need to teach them to make the right choices? Are they going to find Jesus by themselves or do we need to do everything we can from the time they're born to introduce them to God Almighty, to demonstrate Jesus to them? <clears throat> Where were we? Sin and grace, the person and work of the Holy Spirit, the church, the end times, the, what we believe about these things changes the way we live changes the way we live. So what do we do? First of all, put on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. That's what holds everything together. The sword, the breastplate of righteousness. As you read about it in Ephesians chapter 6, put on the belt of truth. Have the truth around you at all times. Be biblically literate. I heard somebody say that we are always one generation away from, from having a generation of biblically illiterate people. We are at the risk of having a generation that is completely biblically illiterate. People who don't study the Bible for themselves. I hope you have a Bible, a good, strong Bible with a study Bible. If you don't have that, make sure you get programs on your computer or your, or your tablet or whatever that has a study Bible so that you can study the Bible intensely. Get the truth inside of you. Discipline yourself toward the truth. C copy what the Bereans did, spoken about in Acts. <clears throat> says that the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Even here in church, are we just enjoying what's spoken about? Is it a taster for us? Is it just hors d'oeuvres? Is it just appetizers, the Word of God which is preached? Or do we take it home and say, all right, where did he read from? What is the context what does it say? What does this mean for me? Are we talking about it in our small groups when we gather with one another? Truth, friends, has to be ingested, has to be chewed upon. It has to be, we have to go back to it again and again. We have to test ourselves to see if we stand firm in the faith. The day is coming when it will be tested. We want to make sure that we endure. We want to be defenders of the truth. We want to advance with the truth, knowing exactly what we believe, bringing the love of Jesus Christ hand in hand with the truth of Jesus Christ to the world that we live in, bringing redemption, bringing salvation, speaking with that surgical sword of the truth into circumstances, into lives, cutting through the fog and the mist of opinions, of cleverness, of intelligence, which is rife in this age of learning, cutting through that with the truth, you may say to yourself, I'll never be able to read the whole Bible. Friend, rather you know one simple truth about Jesus Christ than every knowledge of the, of the world. That truth is what you can stand upon. As we stand upon the truth, we have the opportunity to grab those floundering in the mud of their own opinion, pull them up onto the truth and say, be safe here with me. This is the truth. Church, that is our war. That is our mandate. We have to change for things to happen like this. We have to switch TV off a little bit. Close some other books. Open up the Bible. Make sure, for goodness sake, that you have a Bible. 
that is not sitting on a shelf somewhere. If it's an old one that your grandmother gave you, buy a new one. A study Bible. Ingest it. Read it. Say, Holy Spirit, make this real to me. I know this is a heavy word. And I imagine that it sits heavily upon your shoulders. It sits extremely heavily upon mine. Friends, there is a world that is lost and we have the answer. If we believe that we have the answer, we will act. We will do things. Can we pray together?